All right, so we've been looking at Titus. Uh, we've been going through a sermon series. It's called Planting Healthy Churches. Uh, Paul has entrusted Titus with a daunting task of finishing what remains, right? And what remains is establishing a healthy church. Paul and Titus were on the island of Crete. They were preaching the gospel. People were coming to faith. Paul moved on. He left Titus behind because there was much work that needed to be done. Even though people believed in this good news of Jesus, they didn't know what that meant for the rest of their lives, right? And so part of that was establishing this church. So Titus, just a review, he's been told, listen, you've got to teach the truth, that truth will lead to godliness. You've got to raise up elders, pastors, men who meet a particular qualification, who will do the same work as you. They, they have lives above reproach. They have character that's good. But they also know how to open the word of God and teach it to a people to see transformation happen in their lives. And oh, by the way, the reason that's really necessary is because you can't do it on your own. And you have a bunch of false teachers who are going to come in among you. They may already be among you or they'll come in from the outside and they're going to twist the word of God. They're going to distort the word of God. So you better know people who can know the word, who can silence those who contradict the truth of my word. And that's what Paul told Titus to do. Well, moving into chapter two, all of last week was defense. It really was. You've got to confront these false teachers. You've got to silence them. If you didn't, if you weren't here for that, you can go back and listen to it if you'd like. But this week, Paul tells Titus, it's time to go on the offense. And you'll see that. And we're going to look at the first point. If you have your map, you can see it in there. If you're like, I don't know what you mean by a map, it's that little thing right there. And if you open it up, it has three points in it. Um, verse 1, he says this. But as for you, so this is, this is a contrast, right? So there's these false teachers, and they are teaching that which it does not lead to godliness. They profess to know God, but their lives do not lead to godliness. They actually show they don't know God by the way they live. But now, in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Titus, Paul says, but as for you, see the contrast? He's, he's ready to switch. You teach what accords with sound doctrine. Sound means healthy. Doctrine means teaching, right? See, the only way to, to combat this onslaught of false teaching is to actually teach what is healthy, to teach what is pure. And that's exactly what he's saying. The best protection against the darkness of false teaching is actually the brilliant light of the truth of the gospel. You need a people who know this word so that when people come and they twist it, they're like, mm -mm, nope, that's not the gospel, right? That's why we went through Galatians for, I think it was 12 weeks when we first begun. Right, Because all of Paul's emphasis through the book of Galatians is to make sure there's one gospel, that you understand it. There's no other gospel. If you add to it, if you subtract from it, you don't have good news. You have a lie. You have a counterfeit. Well, it's, it's similar here. Last week, I quoted John Stott. I'm going to quote, quote him again. He said, when false teachers increase, we must multiply the number of true teachers. And that's exactly, he got this from Titus, right? Which is why point one is this. Healthy churches preach, teach, sing, and pray the gospel. It's, it's, it's in everything they do. The gospel isn't just the, the doorway into walking with Jesus. It's everything. It's the doorway in. It's what sustains you. It's, it's what will get you to the finish line. You need the good news just as much on day 1080 as you do the moment that you believe the gospel for the first time. There's no doubt that this is 
applicable to Titus and to the elders and the pastors, but it can't stop there. What he's talking about is creating a community, a family of discipleship. That's exactly where he's going right now. This joyful task, by the way, of making disciples must be embraced by the whole church. The troubles that we're seeing within the American evangelical church across the board have not, it, it, it really, it's not this simple, but, it, but in a lot of ways it is. They've come to a, a show, they've heard one guy preach and teach, they leave, it's like a pep rally, they feel good, they go to Kings or wherever you go here, and you forget everything that you just heard, and you live the same way you've always lived for the next six days. You're not a great disciple, and you don't even understand what it means to make one. But that's wrong. And, and it's never been that way, right? I just want you to know, that's, that's not the way it's been. All throughout the book of Acts, it's been people who receive and believe the good news, preach and teach the good news to their neighbors and to their community, and they make disciples as they go. The church exploded in that way. And that's exactly what we see here. Healthy churches make disciples who make disciples. That's what we're seeking to do here. We're not just looking for those who can feed themselves, but those who can actually feed themselves, yeah, they can make a burger, and then they can share a burger, right? Right? That's from a Tuesday night. That was just for us. That was fun. Right? We were talking about how you can't just be about receiving information for yourself, I mean, there are, there are Christians in America who know tons of doctrine, but it's never landed on their heart to where they've actually taught others anything. That's a problem. And it can't continue if the church is going to grow. Think about ponds. I thought about that as I was writing this sermon. And I don't know a ton about ponds, but I know this. In order for a pond to be healthy, it has to have a stream of water coming in, and it has to have a place for it to overflow properly, right? The same is true for a Christian. We need grace truth, the gospel to come into our lives. And then as it comes in, that wellspring ought to flow out to the people around us, right? So we have good teaching coming in, but you have good teaching going out. And this is true in almost every aspect of our lives. What will that do if we do that? It'll create a gospel culture. That's what we're seeking to do here. We're seeking to create a gospel culture. Well, what does that mean? right? Culture actually is a very difficult word to define. It really is because it's very fluid. It's flexible. Um, but, but think about apple, right? Not the one you bite, but the actual one you hold your face. Or maybe you don't hold it to your face. Maybe you got AirPods, right? Think about that. When you walk into an Apple store, they have a brand. They have a culture, and you can see it as soon as you walk in there, right? Starbucks, same thing. Everything they do is thought out to convey their message, their brand image, who they are. They have a culture, right? Do you know what I mean by that? Hipsters do too, although I think they're fading. But there's a particular... Right? Like, you see them all around the coffee shops, and I'm like, what are these guys that are wearing flannels and boots that, they're work boots, but they've not, anyway. <laughs> I learned that that's a hipster culture, and it's pretty cool. I, I'm not, but hey, go get it. But that's a culture, right? Ken Myers says this, culture is what we make of the world, right? So when you grab dirt and you want to make a garden, you're cultivating the ground. You're moving it. You're shaping it. That's a culture. What we want to do here, and by the way, you know it as soon as you see it. When you see the Apple logo, the first thing you think of is 
Apple, they've worked very hard to make sure that's the case. The church ought to have a very distinct culture of a good news people. A good news people. That's not been everyone's reality. Can I get an amen? Yeah, right? Like, like, you're like, you must have the joy, joy, joy of the Lord so far down that it's never come to your face. Right? Like, you can laugh, by the way. You're all still still reserved. Right? Like, like, I'm not saying we should just be yippy-skippy like a bunch of Care Bears shooting rainbows out our bellies. But what I am saying is we have the hope of the gospel that goes on for all of eternity. Therefore, we ought to be a joyful people. Even if you're suffering and you have tears strolling down your cheeks, there's, there's a profound joy because you know the Lord and the Lord knows you and that relationship is good. And therefore, all is well with my soul. Well, I can tell you something. You can't have that culture if you won't make disciples. You cannot. Listen, when, when someone hears the gospel and repents and believes, they come to faith, they're born again. You can't do that. The, that is a, that's a work of the Spirit is a miracle, okay? You and I have no power to cause someone to believe the good news of the gospel. We may play a part by praying, by preaching, by teaching, by sharing the gospel. But you and I can't make anyone have the light switch come on where they're like, oh, I want Christ. Oh, I want him. But I want you to know, we absolutely have a role in making disciples. Disciples are not born again. They are made. And it's everyone's job to make disciples. This is what we've been pressing upon this whole church as we go along. It is not Kevin and I's job alone to make disciples. Now, I want you to know, as I was preparing for this text, I was so encouraged as I thought about For the City Church. <laughs> I mean, so encouraged because I see discipleship happening everywhere I look in this church gathering. And if you're new here, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come towards you. It will, and that's a good thing. They want you to know and love Jesus, and they want you, because they love him, right? They love him. It's not because I got to do this. I got to check this off my box. No, I want you to have infinite joy, and so for that to happen, you need to know Christ, right? This past Tuesday was an example of that. So that's, that's part one, right? More could be said, but we got four sermons in one, and we got to go. Part two, second, second point. Listen, healthy churches have a culture of discipleship. Now, I've already kind of bled into that, but let's look at verses 2 through 10. I'm going to read it in whole, and we're going to break it down. So, Titus chapter 2, 2 through 10. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to too much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame. Having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Paul now mentions five categories of people. See them? Older men, 
seasoned ladies? I don't ever know how to say that, right? Our culture, you can't say old women, right? Younger men, right? Younger women and bond servants. He gets five categories. Don't, don't miss this, by the way, because like in our crazy culture that we are currently living in, Paul understands that there's a difference between ages and genders. And by the way, there's two genders. There's male and there's female. Both of them are made in the image of God, and both of them have intrinsic value. We do not get our value from what we do. We get our value from whose we are. You're made in the image of God. You're equal playing ground. Every human is made in the image of God. Every human has intrinsic value. But there's differences. Socially, there's differences. Between male and female, there's differences. Age, there's differences. He understands there's different temptations for, let's say, an an older man or an older woman than might be for a younger man or a younger woman. He understands that if if you grew up in the trailer park, there's going to be a different pressure on you than if you grew up in the suburbs, but you still have pressure too. He understands that, so he's speaking to the church. Well, let's take the first one, older men, right? We don't have a ton of older men. You're like, have you looked at you? I know me, right? But in the Bible, right? I just want you to know, like in the Bible, 50, 60 is actually what, what would contain an older man, okay? We, don't, we only have a couple of them, right? Ross, you're representing, bro. Yeah, woo! Yeah, my man. Well, listen, Ross, you're to be sober-minded. <laughs> and like, listen, if the Lord lets some of you other guys grow old, you should be sober-minded now too. But let's pay attention, because if you live long enough, you'll be an older man, God willing, right? So sober-minded, level-headed, doesn't fly off the handle, right? During the elections last, uh, it's not last year, it's two years ago, I just saw older men lose their mind in the church. Just lose their mind. Just go insane. And it made me sad because in that moment, they needed to represent to the younger men, this is not the first time things have went crazy. We have a God who is sovereign, who is good, and to be level-headed, right? But they didn't. They lost their minds. Dignified, which means worthy of respect, right? I've had people say, well, you should respect me because I'm old. Listen, I know old people who are fools, and I know young people who are wise, Right? So, so in, in a gathering, really, you want to live in such a way that someone says, I want to follow this guy because his, his life's in order. He's not perfect, but he's dignified, right? That's what it means. Worthy of respect. Self-control. His passions are under control. Sound in faith means he trusts the Lord in love and in steadfastness, right? That's older men. In, in a world that so idolizes youth, it can be hard for older men and women to find their place in the church. It ought not be, by the way, right? Like, I've talked to many of them throughout the years who are retired, and many of them, the, the, the word that keeps coming through is they feel discarded. And I think this is the generation that's probably most discarded. Because for the longest time, if you wanted wisdom, if you wanted any thoughts on what it meant to have a family or this or that, you would talk to the older people in your community. And if you still do that, praise God, but you're an anomaly. Now we just go and we ask the goog right? There's a YouTube video. The, it'll show me what to do. And, and we don't respect the people who are, let's say, a little more seasoned in our lives. They don't have anything to offer. They're not trendsetters. You're missing out. You're missing out. They feel discarded, and it shouldn't be because there's no expiration date on serving Christ until the day you drop. None. I'm already thinking about how to finish well. 
I hope you do too. I don't care what age you are. There was a man in my life, his name is Fred Wood. I looked to this man and I respected him so much because when I first walked into the church, the first thing he did was invite my family, well, Sarah wasn't around yet, to come to his house to enjoy lunch. And he fixed himself upon our family. And we needed it. We were a freaking train wreck, right? And we didn't even know how much of a train wreck we were. But as we got to hang around some people who knew the Lord, it became stunningly obvious, right? And so they were so kind to do that. Let's contrast that, though. There are some older men who want to be cool and hold on to their youth to the point that they actually have fumbled the ball on the twenty. They have no voice with the men within the church because what's happened is they've idolized youth themselves. They still wear, I know skinny jeans aren't really a thing, right? But like whatever's cool now, I have no clue. But they, they do that and they, they, they might wear some gold chains and they might drive their little Corvettes and they're, they're, they're longing for this, this youth. Can I just tell you something? Embrace whatever season you're in and seek to be faithful because, the, listen, the world actually needs you. The church definitely needs you, right? The world might say you're washed up and useless, but that's not the reality. God has accomplished amazingly stunning things through people who are about to go see him face to face. So you don't quit. You don't quit. You might be retired from your full-time job, but you're not required. You're not retired from, from serving in that capacity, right? So I hope that's an encouragement to you. Younger men need you. Younger families need you. We need be praying for older men for this church. Be praying for older men to come. Russ, you're already one of my heroes. The fact that you're here, right? Like, because I think we've seen other people come in and like, whoa, they're all young and they're like really full of energy and love and they like to hug and that's not my generation's thing, but you're here. You're here. And so I applaud that. Pray for more Russes, right? And pray for Russ and be kind to him. Older women. Older women. We don't have any of those here. It's such a dangerous text. <laughs> you're, you're, you're to be reverent in behavior, whoever you might be. Her life is to reflect the character of the Lord that she loves and that she lives for. Not a slander. By the way, the word slander here, the Greek word, by the way, you're like, oh, he knows Greek. I really don't. I'm not that smart. I just know smart people. I know how to look things up, right? The Greek word, though, is diabolos which means devil. So I just need you to know, gossip, shredding people who are made in the image of God with your tongue is the work of the devil. It's the work of the devil. We see people who are, you know, turning it down for what? They're drinking and they're doing these things. They're like, oh, what a loser. They say they love Jesus, but then they'll shred them with their tongue. Well, guess what? That's called the devil's work. That's, it's far worse. It does far greater damage. Both are wrong, both are sinful, but, but do not do this. And notice he, he adds, and, or slaves to too much wine. By the way, I think both go together. I think they both go together. The more you sip on the wine, right, the more your tongue just goes and you start freely speaking. Can I get an amen? I saw enough head nods. Don't give me an amen. <laughs> They're to teach what is good, older women. Or to teach what is good, what is right, right? This culture attempts to stretch wrinkles, right? It attempts to dye away the gray. Can I just encourage you? Just no, You can dye your hair. You can stretch your wrinkles, whatever. But embrace that season of life. 
Embrace that season. Not many want to embrace the older women role. And I got to tell you, it's a tragedy because I see it in the church culture. Oh, I just see it everywhere that, that many times they don't want to be bothered or they find that they have no place, but then if you give them a place, they don't want that place because that's not the place they always had. They want the place they used to have. Just get used to passing the baton. I'm, I'm talking to myself too. We hope to raise up an army of preachers. And there might be a day that someone's better at communicating the gospel than I am. And I hope that the Lord will give me the grace to sit down and pass the baton. Pass the baton. Why? Because it's not about you. Be a gospel nobody. Right? Just be a gospel nobody. Be willing to like do the work as the Lord has for you. Be willing to die and be forgotten. Is that okay with you? Or do you have to be important? I hope not. Right? Because there's a void of godly women within the church. There really is. I'm so thankful for a, the Deb Beisels of the world. Right? You're like, hey, I know that name. Yeah, it's Jake's mom. This woman came into the church that we had planted in Indiana. And I just said, listen, this church needs you to love them. So she would hold babies. She'd pray for mamas. She would go to houses. She would do things. She was retired. She had bandwidth to do these things. She invested in those moms. And I said, now I need you to teach the other women in this church to do that. And she did. And so when I left there, she had an army of ladies who embraced this role. This is way better than the bitter old lady who wants to make coleslaw a particular way. Yes, I have a lady in mind. No, she's never going to listen to this. We would show up to this, this, this other church. She just won't, I promise you. Right? So we'd show up to the church, and, and this lady would always complain that no one would help. So I'm like, well, Jess, let's help, man. Let's show up. And so we show up, and I'm like, what can we do? How can we help? She's like, well, you can make coleslaw. I was like, cool. I'd love to make coleslaw, the glory of God. Let's do coleslaw. How do I make it? So she shows me how to make it. And I'm doing the coleslaw thing, right? I'm trying not to cut my fingers off. I need those things. Putting a... She comes in. It's not the way it's made. She's like, just get out of here. Now, I tell you that story not to make her look bad, although she did it on her own. But that church always wondered why no one younger would serve. That church is dead now. It's dead. You've got to give people room. You've got to give people room. And they're not going to do it as great as you because they haven't been doing it for 57 years. It's okay. Teach, train, lead. This is what disciple making is like. The church needs older men and women who are tried and true. They not only know what they believe, but they know why they believe it, and they know in whom they believe, right? So that's, let's call that our seasoned people. When suffering comes, they're like, I've been there, I've done that, I got the t-shirt. You can trust the Lord. I'll never forget when Jess and I lost a baby. Fred and Kay Wood showed up at our house that night to cry with us, to pray with us, to tell us everything was going to be okay. And I said, man, I want to be like this guy. And I've been following him since, trying to keep up. They know the Lord. They know the gospel. And they love people. And you can see it. They simply keep fighting the good fight of faith. Well, okay, that's for the older men. That's for the older women. More could be said, but four sermons in one. Younger women. Um, listen, this is, let's say, 18s and up, right? Uh, but everybody can learn from this list, by the way, whether you're old, whether you're young. But he's speaking specifically to a particular person. So younger women, you're to love their husbands. 
Right? You might be thinking, that, and their children. Doesn't that come natural? No. <laughs> it doesn't. And if you're like, it does for me, give it time. <laughs> Straight up. It doesn't. It doesn't. It does not come natural. Sin comes natural. Anger comes natural. Self-pity comes natural. Love, love does not come natural. It is work. Why? Because husbands can be a real pain in the butt sometimes. See? (laughs) There's work that needs done there. (laughs) But all the ladies actually were saying probably amen. But you know, ladies, you're a pain in the butt too. Yeah. (laughs) We're all a pain in the butt. That's why we need Jesus, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I love that you're finally letting it loose a little bit. We live in a culture that just falls in and out of love. It actually doesn't understand covenantal love. It doesn't understand, I'm with you till the day you drop. We say those words. We don't mean those words. There have been times in life between Jess and I that if it was just that loving feeling, we would have said, peace, and hit the off-ramp. You're my pastor. Yep, I know. We would have. But we understand that we have a love between the Lord that holds us together. So I'm for you. And I know this woman's for me. And therefore, we will make it to the end. You're like, well, you can't say that. No, we're going to make it to the end. We're committed. Why? Because our lives, our marriage, we want to reflect the love that the Lord has for his people. So we're committed. That means we work. We learn to fight well. Sometimes we don't fight well. But we've learned to drag conflict into the light. We've learned to do that. Right? So it's work. Older women teach younger women to love. Teach them to love their husbands. Teach them to love their kids. That's what it says. We must learn to love. To be self-controlled. To be pure. Right? It's like, it's a one-man kind of lady, right? You are pure because you're in Christ. But that's not what this is talking about. It's seeing that truth to actually be worked out in your life. Right? Sanctification. Being more like Christ. Working at home, meaning it's your main focus. I'll say more in a moment. To be kind, it means gentle and gracious. To be submissive to their own husbands. That's everybody's head's going to blow now, but hang in there. I'm going to talk about that too. (laughs) Yield to the leadership of their husband. Although never towards sin, never towards abuse, never towards that which the Lord says no. In that case, you say, I have a greater authority. His name is Jesus. He is my greater husband. I will not follow you towards sin. Okay? And if you're not married, that's not your husband. Therefore, you don't actually submit to him. Not in that way. This is for married couples. All right. Let's tackle this one. That ought not be a controversial text. It really shouldn't be. But because of the culture we live in, it is. It's kind of like dancing on a landmine, hoping not to get blown up. But can I just tell you something? I hope we're in a church that says, no, that's the word of God. Let's seek to learn. We want to be, we want to have our minds transformed by the word of God, not conformed to the patterns of this world. So if the word of God confronts you and you're like, oh, I hate that, you're out of line. You need to figure out what it is that needs to change. And guess what? It's you. It's you. It's you. Now, you might not understand it. And so maybe you need some humility to, to hear Maybe you need some grace to hear. But when, I mean, the word of God, when it confronts me and I'm like, Ugh, oh, I got to preach that. Oh, what am I going to say? Okay, something's out of step here. 
Because the word of God is true. The word of God is pure. The word of God is good. It leads to paths of righteousness. It leads to the wellspring of life. So let's seek to learn. Let's seek to learn. All right, well, let's look at it. I want you to know, if you look around in our culture, and, and even notice the pressure that came in from the feminist movement. Now, that's a buzzword, so I'm going to unpack that a little bit. When I say feminist movement, I do not mean the women who are soldiers that I cheer on because they went and they said, no, they need represented in the workforce. They need the same pay. They need the same, all that. I applaud. Go get it, girls, right? I'll, I'll, I'll be out there picketing with you, but that is not the majority of what the feminist movement was about. It was about, it promised joy and freedom, but actually what it did is it tried to remove femininity. It sought to rob women of the joy of being wives. It sought to rob women the joy of being moms. So to the point now that if you say, man, I stay at home and I raise my family, there's shame from that within the culture because you're a loser. You're not actually doing the thing. Well, the Bible has absolutely something to say about that. Right, because because here's the thing, it, that movement brought much confusion and rejection into God ordained roles from the Lord. Right, this is good. Femininity is to be embraced. Right, ladies. I mean, I hope you embrace it. Right now, so what does that mean? A woman can't go to work. A woman can't work outside the home. I'm not saying that at all, and I don't think that's what the text says. I don't think it's what the text says at all. What it does say is that that is to be your primary responsibility. And so if your career gets elevated above your husband and your children, you're out of step with what's being said here, right? But I got to tell you, my wife, she works. Ah! She works, but she labors in the home. And there was a season when she did not work outside the home. We made that decision together. So you need to use the wisdom that God has for you. I know single moms that work three jobs. They're my heroes, they're my heroes, but they're working hard to make sure that that home's cared for. They're making sure Junior is well cared for because he goes to Granny's, right? They're doing everything. I've seen preachers stand up here and demean the women who are doing the best they possibly can to make sure that they honor the Lord within their lives and within their family. But their family was first priority, even though they had a full-time job. Let's just be wise in what we, how we handle the Word of God, right? So... Don't elevate career above your family. To do that is to be out of step with the gospel. But you need to figure out how you're able to do that and honor the Lord and honor your family and make sure your family is at the best place for thriving as you possibly can because you're a home manager. That's what it means. And that means under, and I don't mean like we're above you, the submission of the leadership of your husband. That's what the text says, right? Like, oh, I don't like that. The reason we don't like that is because we've seen it abused. We've seen it abused. But I want you to know, we think submission's less than. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus joyfully submitted to the will of his Father. There's been submission ever since there was, well, anything because God would never create it, right? He's always been. And there's always been submission within the Godhead. Well, isn't Jesus equal with the Father? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what does it mean? It means that, that essentially, think about your head. Wherever your head goes, your body goes, right? So I'm leading, right? And I'm, I'm hopefully, I'm, I'm leading you towards Jesus. I'm leading you towards what is right. And I want to follow that kind of leadership. Ladies, if you're single, that's what you should be looking for. 
And, and if you're married and you're like, well, that's not what I got. Well, there's hope for you too. Because I want you to know God brings about transformation through the word and by his spirit. So wherever you're at, that's what you embrace. But unless he's leading you into sin, that's what it means. But, but you labor together. My wife, side by side. When we came to Greensburg, we prayed for over a year. We talked about it. And if she was like, I don't want to go there, I'm not going to drag her kicking and screaming. I want to honor my wife. Why? Because men, listen, you're to love your wives like Christ loved the church, laid down his life for her. You have a greater task, I promise. And I've never seen a woman buck up against that kind of leadership. Oh, he just, he seeks to serve me. He seeks to love me. He just, right? They're like, oh yeah, that's good stuff. I know that's not everybody's reality though. So once again, so much more could be said. That clock keeps telling me I can't go there. I know you might have more questions about that. That's where we can talk. Younger men, ready? Listen, you're going to be self-controlled. That's it. <laughs> Ladies get doom, 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 doom. Older men get doom, 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 doom. Younger men, like, just be self-controlled. It's like Paul knows, right? <laughs> just, he knows. You give him one thing. What's the thing I'm going to give you? Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. Like the ladies get a laundry list. The men get one command. But I want you to know, and you might be thinking, that's not fair. Well, that's not all of the Bible, right? It's one piece of the Bible. Keep reading. There's more. But I want you to know this one word, self-controlled for young men, is the Mount Everest of commands for men. <laughs> Men, can I get a... Uh, I, Eli's like, yep, right? <laughs> Spend any amount of time with young men, and you'll see this is a serious weakness, right? M many young men lack self-control in all sorts of areas. In lust, right? In, in hobbies, in work, in money, in temperaments, you name it. They, they just lack self-control. Our culture has, has extended adolescence to ridiculous levels for men at this stage of the game. It's embarrassing. I mean, it is. It's embarrassing. Uh, I mean, you, you know, 18 is the new 25, the new 32. And they just keep on going, right? I heard one guy say, and I don't actually like this kind of talk, but, but it conveys an, an image. They're boys who can shave. But I got to tell you something. As I look around the young men in our church, As I look around at the young women in our church, old men, old women, on and on. Well, you, can I just tell you that it doesn't happen by accident? That's discipleship. That's discipleship. And you're like, well, I haven't arrived. Well, welcome to the team. Now there's anyone else, including me, including Kevin, including all of us. But we do seek to follow Jesus. We do seek to grow in his image. I just want you to know, Young men, embrace growing up. Embrace responsibility. Don't be afraid of it. And as I look at many of you guys, some of you I don't know, I look forward to get to know you. You have. You do. I, I, think, I think about one young man in particular. I won't say his name because I don't think it's healthy for him. But he, he goes out and he works at, at like, uh, well, Matt, what do you do on the weekends? <laughs> it's like paramedic stuff, right? Yeah, you're going to school full-time, you got a part-time job, 
just came to faith in Jesus Christ this past year. You worked the one time a 36-hour shift. You, you didn't even go home. You came here. You showed up for church, and you were dead tired, and you said, make sure you're good today because I'll fall asleep if not. I said, take a nap if you need to. I said, take a nap if you need to. He didn't sleep. That's a young man that's seeking the Lord. He's not arrived. He's going to stumble. He's going to fumble. He's going to fall. But he surrounded him with other young men seeking after the Lord. That happens as we grow and as we go together. And so that's discipleship. One author said it like this. He said, listen to this. I love this quote. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. Well, I want you to know we're eating the fruit of weak men. We just are. Just look around. I don't mean all of us, but as a general rule of thumb, we're eating the fruit of weak men right now. But you know what? I'm very hopeful that in this next season, the Lord will raise up a new man, a new woman who don't run from responsibility. They run to it. They're not afraid to grow up and to go and to be responsible and to love the people that are in their communities, in their city, and in their lives. Why? Because I worship a God of hope. And I know you do as well. Right? Give a little illustration of this. Young men, I've heard it said, are like semi-trucks with no weight on them. Right? And so if you're going down the interstate and a crosswind hits, what happens? Gets a little squirrely. That's young men with no responsibility. That's true. But the true statement is, if, and this is true for women too, by the way. If you put weight on them, as they drive down the interstate, responsibility, they'll stay straight. It's true. We've enabled this. We've enabled this. The generation that complains about it enabled this. Why? Because we didn't want you to be uncomfortable. So we just did everything to make your lives comfortable to your own detriment. We're not going to do that. We're going to call men up. We're going to call men to worship Jesus. We're going to call men to, to live lives of godliness. And when you fail and when you blow it, and you will, that you will humble yourself. You'll ask for forgiveness. You'll do the hard work of repentance and reconciliation. And you'll move forward in grace knowing that all your sins have been paid for on the cross. Young ladies, same. That's what it means to be a gospel community, right? Do you see it? That's a discipleship community. All right, we need men who take Jesus serious and call others to do the same. All right, there's a last category. It's called bond servants. I'm going to talk about this and then we're going to move into the last point. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. This is really tricky for a couple of reasons. One, bond servants can actually be translated as slaves. Okay? That's, that's actually a better translation. Okay? Now, Slaves and bondservants in the Bible, I got to tell you, it, it's tricky because it's not like the evil slavery that happened within America in the 1600s, which was disgusting, evil, and never ordained by God, right? It, it was evil because it took image bearers and, and it sought to use them as less than. Once again, I said it earlier, Imago Day fixes this. And you're like, what's that? It's a fancy way of saying made in God's image. All humans, I don't care what shape, what size, what color, are made in God's image. Therefore, they have intrinsic value, 
right? To demean another human and to cause them to do things that are not within the scope of their own free will is evil. It's to be renounced. It's to be discarded. It's to be fought against. And if you follow history, Christians fought it. Now, some did not, and they were wrong. But I got to tell you, the, in the Bible, that's not what it means when it talks about bond servants and slavery. It's not what it means. It's more like employees, but that doesn't go far enough either because that's really not true. So it's somewhere in that spectrum. So I'm going to read a quote from a commentary because I think it will help you. Listen, it says, In the first century, one out of three persons in Rome and one in five elsewhere was a slave. A person could become a slave as a result of, listen, captured in war, default on a debt, inability, because you, you couldn't just like say, ah, it's no big deal, I'm not paying, I'm just going to go bankrupt. No, you owe me money, you have to work it off, right? You understand? An inability to support yourself, so therefore you might voluntarily sell oneself into a family so that you have a place to live and a place to work so you could eat. Being sold as a slave or as a child by destitute parents, right? So it's adoption in a sense, right? Birth to slave parents, so therefore you're in that slave position. Conviction of a crime, kidnapping, or piracy. So it's not as simple as an employee, and it's not the evil of, of 1600s, uh, you know, America's disgrace of what we did with humans made in God's image. Somewhere in the middle. Well, what do we do? Because we don't have any bond slave servants here. We don't have that here. What do we do? I think it's employees, that's how we can contextualize it to what we're learning, to what we're doing. So one note, we're going to go a little over today because there's too much to unpack and it's important that we do that. Everywhere the gospel has went, I want you to know that human rights has rose. It has triumphed. You need to know this. It's very important you understand your history. And so if you will look at actual history, wherever God's people went, all their rights have went up. You're like, well, that's not true in this one specific example. It might not be true in one little specific example, but overall, I want you to know, the reason you have hospitals, Presby, all these different places was because Christians said these people need a place to land when they're sick. Harvard, Yale, they need educated. Those were all started by Christian institutions, right? So this whole revisioning history, whole rewriting of history, saying, no, that, that you know, Christians are pro-slavery is garbage, it's just garbage. And, and we're not, all right? Like, we love all people. Why? Jesus died to save all people. He loves all people. We want to be like him. We want to be like him. And anywhere the gospels went, that's been the case. So any place we see oppression or any of these different things happening within our city, we ought to be there to help bring relief and compassion and help and hope. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. We're his people, therefore we mimic, mirror, and, and follow him in what that looks like. That's who we are. That's who we are. And if you're like, well, that's not who I am, well, then I don't know if you're God's people. Because that's what it looks like to follow him. And I know you, so I know that that's who you are. All right, but let me ask you, what about work? Real quickly, ask yourself, do you complain about your management? Everybody's like, ah, he's not talking to me. I'm talking to you. <laughs> do you. Do you complain about the people you work with? Do you slander those who are made in God's image? Do you get upset because you're not paid what you think you're worth? I, I, I just need you to know the world's looking. 
the world is looking. Like if on Sunday you show up and you're like, oh, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? And then like six days a week, you're just like, my boss is such an idiot. What a jerk. I mean, I just wish God would squash him like a freaking grape. Well, that's pretty specific. (laughs) (laughs) Have I said that? Uh, I want you to know you're representing Christ in a way that's not worthy of his honor, his fame. And, And that's not good. And you're like, well, it must be easy for a pastor. He's, you know, he's your boss. Who, who signs your checks? <laughs> right? But I got, I got to tell you, I was, I was in the business world for over 20 years. 20 years. And I want you to know, one of the greatest moments of my life was when I was seeking to honor the Lord in everything I did in an environment that did not do that. And I want you to know, I had more influence for the gospel in that than I probably had in any aspect of my life. Why? Because they kept asking, what's up with you? What's up with you? Right? So represent him well in every aspect. Represent him well. All right. The stuff that's being exhorted here, by the way, does not take place in a classroom. Right? We we are not going to have discipleship programs like that where you show up and you get your head full of information and nothing changes in your life. Discipleship happens in the everyday stuff of life. It just does, right? It, it happens in the home. It happens in your car. It happens when you grab a coffee with someone. It happens when you're seeking to run an errand. Ask someone to join you. Ask Kevin to drive you an hour away. And he says, yes, right? You get free lunch. It was good. But we had, we had two hours of time. Discipleship happened on that road. I want you to know, discipleship ought to be a, a part of everything we do. It, you, you ought to be saturated into it. And that's a book, a resource that our church has gone through. We're figuring out how to take everyone else through it by the end of this year, hopefully, where it's in eight weeks, where we understand that discipleship is, is something that happens in the whole church the whole church and it's not just on Sunday morning that's why we go to our home hopefully some of you all of you are coming there today to eat and you're like can your house fit us it's nice enough some of us can hang outside although I got to tell you look out for the puke the college girls right down the street from us threw a rager last night and it's (laughs) everywhere I'm not kidding man it's nasty there was coolers we found an iPhone on our walk today like it was just straight up insane pray for their salvation Uh, pray that if they do know the Lord that they would get their life straightened out Uh, I'm way off track we're gonna skip I have so many great things to say here we're gonna skip them all Uh, and we're gonna get to the last point and we're gonna finish up Last point, healthy churches make the gospel attractive to the onlooking world, okay? You see it right in Titus 2, 7 through 8. This is the Titus. He says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, right? Your life matches your lips. That's what he's saying, right? Why? So that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Doesn't mean they won't say evil things about you. Jesus was perfect. They murdered him, right? There's your shock. You can live a perfect life. Actually, you couldn't. But Jesus did, and they still hated him. You could love people as well as you possibly could, and they still could say, that person doesn't love me, that person this, that person that. They might revile you. What he's saying is make sure you've not earned it. You see that? So that, why, don't miss this, that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. 
What does that mean? Look at 11 through the rest of the chapter. Come back next week because that's your sermon. But that is the doctrine. It's the gospel. So they might adore the gospel. Live this way. Be this community so that as they see you go in the, in the marketplace, at the White Rabbit, at Sundog, at these different places, they may say, that people's different. And they might adorn the gospel. That's what he's saying. This kind of, that's the kind of attractive church I can get down with, right? Not because we got all the bells and whistles and we got the little lasers and the haze machine and all. It's so attractional. They have a band that sounds like it's from the 80s and they say Jesus. I don't care. If you want to do that, great. Go get it, son. But here's what I'm telling you. You'll know my disciples by how they love one another. This community goes on mission every time it leaves this building. Therefore, you're sent. Our aim is not to get people here. If you come here, that's great. It's so that when you go, you go with the gospel. You go with love. And that when people come in contact with us, they say, what's with these folks? What's with these folks? They're different. They're distinct in a good way. I can get down with that kind of attraction. To adorn means to make something look good. To make it look beautiful. It's like decoration in a sense, right? To decorate. I want to read one last text and we're done. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, now you got to get this because Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. But now he says, you are the light of the world. Right? Jesus says, I'm going to go to the right hand of the Father. I'm going to ascend. I'm going to mediate this relationship between the Father and between you. I'm going to do all the things I need to do to make it so you can come to the throne room of grace and receive help and mercy and, and compassion in your time of need. Forgiveness and righteousness. I'm going to do all that work so that you'll be a light within the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. If you were to go to a place where there's hardly any ambient light and there was a city on a hill, you would see it and it would be a beacon of hope. That's what he's talking about. Nor do people like, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand. He's saying, make me look great. Show off. Right? Does your life bring about more fame for Jesus or does it bring about shame so that people say, I never want to be a Christian because of people like you. I'm not saying that to you, but I'm, I'm saying, if that's you, it's time to change. It's just time to change. If people say, you're no different than everyone else. Well, if that's true, it's time to change. I remember working with my employees on Sunday mornings. And every time after church would end, people would come in with all their church clothes on, their big old crosses. I mean, you could like nail a smurf to this sucker. They'd come in. And they would treat my employees not kindly. And my employees would look at me and Scott, that's why I don't want to go to your church. I'm like, well, those aren't my people. And I'm not saying that they're not in the gathering at times, but that's not predominantly who's at the church I'm going to. I'm sorry that that was your interaction. Church, your barista has a name. Your barista has a soul. Yes, you, you're a barista. You have a name. You have a soul. Keep making good coffee. And tip her well. <laughs> like, like straight up. The people you, you've never met an uninteresting human. 
You've never met an unimportant human. They don't exist. They all have a story. They all have a name. They all have a soul. They're all worthy of your respect. They're all worthy of you loving and serving them. Let your light shine. Why? Because it will give light to all the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others. Here's why. So that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you see it? Do you see it? So they may glorify God. You're not saved by your good works. You're saved by Jesus' good works. But can I just tell you something? Jesus doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. That's what Martin Luther said. Your neighbor does need your good works. So let's be a people of good works. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us, and he loves to show off Jesus, and he loves to do it through his people. Let's seek to do that. Let's have a community of disciple-making. Let's have a community that shines in a dark world, and the darker it gets, the brighter it shines. This world needs hope. We have living hope in Christ. Okay? One sermon in four. That was a miracle. If more needs to be said, we can talk. But if not, just look at the Word and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, and He will. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, and Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your Word and to receive. Your Word is it's living. It's active. It's, it's fresh water to a parched soul. I'm so thankful that your Word, it, it, it works. It comes into our hearts and it comes into our minds and it brings about transformation. That's what we're talking about as we look at Titus. And so, Father, doctrine, clean, clean, healthy doctrine alone is not enough. We need power. We need power of the Holy Spirit to apply it to our hearts, to apply it to our minds, to bring about the transformation. Lord, humble us. Lord, cause us to decrease as you increase in our lives. Father, I pray that you, right now, wherever anyone's at, you would speak to their heart, you'd speak to their mind, that you would remind them that you see them, that you know them, that you love them, that this word's for them, that this word's true, that this word's good, and that, that they could seek to follow you. Give grace to do that. Magnify yourself in this place and through these people, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.